Squad. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Fast Break Podcast that is now on video and on YouTube as well. This is our first time trying it out. I'm here with Keith and Foster and Justin Klimmer as always. And it's as always, it's been a really interesting couple weeks in the NBA. Uh, and really just the early season has been really kind of it's, it's, it's been really surprising. So we wanted to start this with a little segment where we're going to just go through and talk about who we think have been either uh, not necessarily the top 10 best players in the league overall, uh, because you still got to take into account past seasons for stuff like that. But just so far this season, either the 10 players that have surprised us the most or the 10 players that we think have had like the highest impact on their teams uh, kind of to start the season. So I'll I'll start with uh, this. I guess this doesn't necessarily have to be in order. Mine is kind of in order. I'm starting with Giannis and Hedekumpo because I still think I think Giannis is the single most impactful player in the NBA right now for the I best team in the league. Yeah, for for the best team in the league. Like, and it's it's not like this is a crazy take. Like this is like the easiest take ever. So I'm not going to pretend like I'm some basketball guru on this take, but I mean, there's not another dude in the league that I think is averaging 30 points per game, basically 29 and a half so far. And I think he's the most versatile defender in the NBA. And then you got to, it just speaks something else that Giannis, a lot of people know is Giannis work ethic. It just speaks for itself. Cause as everybody knows, he came into the league. Nobody expected this. Um, obviously, he went from most people don't even realize he has a most improved award. Like a lot of people don't realize that he wasn't projected to ever. I'm not gonna say ever be this good, but nobody really expected. Oh, that not this good. No, 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 no. Like except himself. Well, if if people expected him, like let's be honest, if people expected him to be this good, he would have been the first overall pick that draft. Exactly. Yep. No question. He went 15. So everybody knows how hard his work ethic is. He just plays hard every game, and like we talked about this before in the previous podcast, it's just contagious. Like you can see his energy transferring to everybody else on the team, and that's just something that a lot of players don't have. And something that stands out to Giannis, um, always for me every year, he's not like seeing the minutes. You, you'd see from, like, uh, these guys at the top of the league, like Luka, Joel, Steph, these guys at the top of the MVP race. I mean, he only, he only gets uh, a little bit more than 30 minutes a game, but, yeah, he just maximizes that. He's always efficient. Um, he's never a problem. He's always near a triple-double every game. And in the first seed, I mean, they're winning every game, too. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I've always, since, since he won finals MVP, I've been fully on the Giannis being the best player in the league train. Uh, basically that whole playoff run in 2021 and then I still think last year I, I'm I'm still one of the people that thinks if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt the Bucks won the championship last Chris year Middleton people don't realize how big of a addition Chris Middleton is just because he's not oh flashy. yeah like people don't the Bucks aren't a flashy team and I'm not gonna say they're they're not one of the more exciting teams to watch so they're a small market and obviously with Chris Middleton, he doesn't. He's not a flashy guy. He doesn't talk a lot of trash. He just comes in and does his job. Yeah, he can create a shot very well. He's he's probably the best three level scorer on that team. There's he doesn't really have a weak weakness in his offensive game. And he's Giannis a good will defender. be yeah. Giannis will be the bruiser, but um, late down the stretch, deferring to a guy like Middleton is super valuable. And you know they've overcome that so far. But they're definitely going to need it. You know for those Boston's for those. Uh, uh, those calves, like later in the playoffs, they're going to need a guy that um, Giannis can have to take the pressure off of him. So I know when, when I told y'all this, I said we weren't doing it necessarily in order, but would y'all agree with Giannis at one or would y'all make an argument? Because I think there's one other guy that has an argument for number one. I don't know if y'all would agree. Yeah, it's Luca. Yeah. Like you could argue that so far this season, Luca has been the most impactful player. The only reason why I have Giannis is I think the defensive end is so important. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why even though Luca is leading the league in scoring and he's averaging thirty four, nine and eight, like it's not like he's averaging ridiculous numbers. And I do think that if you were asking me to pick the MVP at this point in the season, I think it would probably go to go to Luca. Just because of how he's played. Yeah. I kind of have something I want to say to that, and it kind of pains me to say this, but um, 
I think you can honestly argue Steph Curry might honestly could be argued as the best player right now. Yeah, because we don't see him scoring this exactly. many. Steph Curry's coming off a of Finals MVP. Um, his team just won a championship. Obviously, they're not playing to sort. But if you look at Steph Curry individually right now, if you look at anybody who's played the game, there's not a single person that you can name me right now that can do what Steph Curry does with the ball. That's true. The three ball. Yeah, and nobody, off the ball, nobody in the entire world that we've seen the game can do what he does. So with that being said, if nobody can does it, and he does it at such an effective rate. Why can't he be the best player in the world? Yeah, it's a very weird situation for the Warriors. Usually, you know, Steph Curry's not the only one to have it going, so they don't need to have him take all these shots a game, average over 30 a game. But for some reason this year, things are not clicking, whether that be the Draymond punch or, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I'll tell you I'll tell you what I think it is with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. First of all, they had some injuries. Like, they got Dante DiVincenzo back. That's not going to be, like, a huge difference. But they're missing Otto Porter Yes, and uh, – Gary Gary Payton the second like they're missing those guys a lot more than I think people expected them to and and because it's not their starting five their starting five has one of the highest net ratings in the NBA but it's that bench like they're relying on those young guys to take the next step but I don't think they've done the development with those young guys the way they need to and I think that's I think that's part of the problem for them is they're going to need their young guys to step up off the bench uh, because as much as like I agree, Steph. Steph definitely has an argument. So I think it's Giannis, Steph, and Luca have, are the three guys that I think probably have an argument right now, uh, just because of how they played to start the year. Uh, you can throw in some other guys like Tatum, Ja, Jokic. Uh, not Jokic really this season, but Jokic over the last couple of years, Embiid. Uh, but I think those three guys have really been this season have probably been the best guys in the league. Uh, but the reason why Steph is doing all this is because he has to. Like if if the Warriors didn't have Steph Curry, I don't know if they will have they would have won a game this season. Yeah, he had fifty points and a loss the other night against. Like the Suns. it's it's freaking ridiculous. Like <laughs> it's 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 kind of ridiculous. So like I'm I I don't take I don't think you're wrong on that at all. Like you can definitely st- make an argument for Steph. I, I like like I said, I'm still a Giannis guy just because Giannis does it on both ends not to say that Steph is a horrible defender and it's not his fault I mean he's not seven foot like Giannis but it's like Giannis can't every every second that Giannis is on the court on both sides of the floor he is he is the focal point of the offense and the defense and I think that's just something that you can't take for granted and 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 that's why I have him at one but I do see Luca and Steph and another guy that I do want to talk about too is Jason Tatum. I'm sure y'all got Jason Tatum in y'all's top 10 so far, right, too? Yeah, Jason Tatum. Definitely. <laughs> uh, if last year wasn't an indicator, uh, he's definitely coming. He might. Oh, no, he's here. He's Yeah, come on. No, nah. when I say coming, I mean, like, for top. Oh, yeah. like He's on his way. He's coming for. He's already top 10, but at this rate, he's he's coming for the top spot. He can. I feel like he's on his way to be there. Well, okay, the thing about Tatum, I think that losing the finals – might have been the best thing for Jason Tatum because he has come out with like a different look in his eye like the whole season and it's just like on both ends of the floor that's another thing because I think he's really improved his defense like making clutch blocks down the stretch uh as a one-on-one defender he's gonna I think he'll be first team all all defense this year uh at the forward spot I think he has a good chance at that because dude has been absolutely locked down on that end and the Celtics in general have been just great on that end of the floor. They got a lot of great defenders, and they're still missing Robert Williams. And I know Marcus Smart has missed some time too. Uh, but I think Jason Tatum, this, the kind of like the step that he's taken this year, I think he's he's moved up from like he's moved up a tier in terms of where he was at. Like I think last year he was, I, like he was a borderline superstar. Like I would say him and Ja last year were like on the borderline of becoming superstars. Yeah, if he had a better playoff performances he did he had some really good games like coming i mean they went to the final and i think that's another thing is going to the finals i also think does kind of put you into that realm of not just being a superstar but of being one of the five best players in the nba and then also i think that finals run is because jason tatum is still young like he's only what 24 exactly he's like 24 25 at the the most but the thing about it is as he continues to play the game he's going to continue to get smarter so with that finals run is the Warriors. They if you the thing about the Warriors, you have to be so attentive when you're playing the Warriors and team. So he had to go from playing guys like Kevin Durant, Giannis, 
Jimmy Butler in the Heat, and we know how detailed of a coach Eric Spolster is. And that was a seven. Then game going series, to yeah. the Warriors. So all of those games is just experience, and all of those games he had to be very detail oriented, especially against teams like the Heat and the Warriors with guys like Steph Curry, where you know if you leave him open for any second, it's going to be open. So I think those those are valuable experience to him. Now, now he knows what it takes, and it's just going to keep continue to build his IQ as he just gets smarter with the game. Because like I say, he's only twenty four, and obviously guys like Luca that experience playing overseas as a kid, so. He came in with the edge and like knowledge and IQ already, but Jason Tatum is just going to continue to catch up and get me more. I think during the playoffs, Jalen Brown caught a lot of the spotlight, especially in the latter stretches. In so. the finals, well, in the finals, he was better than Tatum. Yeah, and so like that's and that's that's I, I don't think. And I don't think that's a you were right. Like Tatum was knocking on that superstar superstardom. He was. I mean, you could argue that he had it, but then you know after a few poor showings. Um, him not stepping up like you'd expect him to, and especially in the finals. Uh, some people kind of forgot about him. And then with losing the coach, losing uh, Udoka, you know, there was kind of like built-in reasons to kind of not see – to see Tatum kind of maybe not get off to a hard, as hard of a start as uh, as he was doing last year in the regular season. But, yeah, they just – I mean, I said Milwaukee was a one, one seed earlier. I was wrong. It's the Celtics. And, yeah, despite the new coach, you know, Tatum's back to how he was for last year as he was last year when he was at his best. Yeah, Celtics actually have the best record in the NBA right now. Uh, so I think, I mean, if you're talking about the MVP conversation too, Jason Tatum has to be near the top of the list along with Giannis and Luka. If you're talking about MVP for this season, I mean, I don't think, uh, j- just to start the year, he's he's been incredible. So I, I, don't, I don't have any problems with him being in MVP conversations and even top five in the league conversations. Uh, so we already talked about Steph. That was another guy in my league, uh, on, on my list, I mean. And I'm going next. I'm going with Joel, right? So I, I know, well. yeah, it, it has to be Joel Embiid because that dude has been hooping. I mean, you saw that one game where he had like 50, like a dang near a 50-point triple-double the other night, which was pretty ridiculous, like just in general. Uh, and I think he's one of the guys where it's like he can do it. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing as Giannis. He doesn't give the effort that Giannis does. That's the one thing that I'll have as a knock on him. Uh, is that like Giannis never stops. You can see Joel when he gets tired. You can tell that he takes plays off. Like that's the one thing that you could say is a downside of Embiid. And let's but, talk about. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you but good. just the last couple games for Embiid: 32, 32, 59, 42, 26, 33. Last year he was the scoring champion, right? The first center scoring champion since I think Moses Malone or yeah, Shaq. it was one of the two. But we just go back to that. That just goes to show just how skilled he is. And we look at how much he's averaging right now. He's averaging 32. I'm sure we've all seen the montages, too, where that was comparing him to, like, Kobe and all these other stuff, which he's very, which shows just how the skill he is and not to compare him to those guys. But he's just one of those guys where he weighs a lot. He's, like, what, 280? Uh, seven, yeah. Two seven foot, so he can be physical with you if he wants to. He can also be use his finesse. We all know he likes to flop, too. That's, he had a crazy that's, clip. That's from this, that's well documented too. But yeah. that's, that's also a skill too. Learning how to get to the free throw line, which a lot of people don't understand, is a skill. Because it's definitely way, a skill. Any way you can get a point for your team is a valuable skill to have. So, um, I I agree with him definitely. Well, I mean, in it, you talk about that one game where you had fifty nine, fifty nine points, eleven rebounds, eight assists, seven blocks. So he's two assists and three blocks away from a 59-point quadruple-double. And almost had a 60-point quadruple-double. That. Like, that's that's absolute, uh, Like that's probably that's one of the best stat lines I've ever seen. So when you have a guy that's coming out and starting the season like that, I mean, there's no question that he's been a top-10 player in the league uh, to, start, to start this year and one of the top-10 most surprising players. Uh, well, maybe not surprising. I don't know if anybody's necessarily surprised, but – but impactful, he's just, he's impactful just, players. Yeah, yeah. just reminding you he's at the MVP level, and he's going to continue putting up these stats with with Maxi being out. What, like four weeks? Yeah, which we'll we'll get into that. We're going to have a whole kind of segment about injuries around the NBA and kind of how we think those are going to affect some of those teams. Uh, that, that that'll be what we're going to next. But that also brings me to kind of the end of my list. Well, first of all, Kevin Durant still has to be there, right? Even though the Nets haven't been great. KD has been awesome. Uh, I, I 
we we can get into a little bit of that comment he made the other day about his starting five. I don't know if you, I'm sure y'all saw that yeah. uh, where he was talking about we got guys like Edmund Sumner and stuff like that. Which, what do I do? This no. This is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. If you look at the entire quote, right? Because you know how you know how the media is like as people who are aspiring media, right? Yeah, they got me. I only yeah I only know the part where he's calling out his yeah teammates. so if you if you go back to what Chris Haynes who was the guy who wrote the article he came out and he put out a video and he was talking about it I think uh, KD responded and said thank you Chris what KD was trying to say is we have guys like Edmund Sumner and uh, Royce O'Neal and guys like this in the starting five that are playing a role that they're not supposed to be playing because Kyrie is is out Ben Simmons has been playing Seth a lot. Seth Curry's been out. Seth Curry has been out. Joe like all, yeah, Joe Harris. Like, all these guys have had injuries. So, what KD was trying to say is we have all these guys that are supposed to be role players in the starting five. We're missing some of the other guys that are supposed to make the team. So, it's not like he's saying he doesn't think the Nets can win anything. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he was just trying to kind of be like, hey, like, chill out on the team a little bit because – like you see what we're working with, you see kind of some of the stuff that we've been dealing with in terms of injuries and guys getting back, uh, which Ben Simmons is finally starting to seem like he's getting there. Trying, like he's still not. He's making steps. He's yeah. taking steps. He's not. He's still not to the guy that he was. Those man, those first like three years in Philly, like, those compare him to LeBron, bro. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, just it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, the athletic profile for that. But now, now and, the problem is, yeah. And it's, it's crazy, and it, it going more into the Nets a little bit too, because when you look at like when you look at the the highlights of his first couple of years in Philly, he doesn't even look the same player. Yeah. So if he can get, so I think that's kind of what KD is saying. If if we can get Ben Simmons back to the level that he's he, he's proven he can be in the past, haven't seen it in a couple of years, but he, we've seen him do it before, right? If if Ben Simmons can get to that point, if we get guys healthy. I think they're going to be a much better team, uh, which Kyrie is now coming back after his whole anti-Semitism debacle and all of that stuff that was going on. But he, he completed the checklist. Yeah, he completed he completed the checklist. Uh, of course, just in time to play the Memphis Grizzlies, who are not going to have basically anybody on the team. So uh, great, good, good for Kyrie though. I think he learned his lesson. Uh, hopefully, no more no more posting documentaries on Twitter. The thing about the Nets, though, like to get to the KD's point, they have so much potential on the roster, but it's almost like we will never know if they'll ever live up to that potential. Because over the past couple years, the Nets, everybody's been raving about the Nets, talking about they're a finals favorite. They're a finals. Even last year when they were an eight seed, struggling to get into the playoffs. Or no, they were, correct me, they weren't the eighth seed. Um, they, they were. They were. They played. Nah, but yeah. Were. No, no, like no. He, they were seven. Was, no, was. they were the seven yeah. seed. Yeah, they were the seven seed. Because they played Boston. Yeah. yeah. So they were the seven seed. Even then, when they were coming in as the seven seed, people had them projected to beat the Celtics. A lot of people. It was a toss up. Go yeah. to the finals, and they got swept. So it's just like you hear names like Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, Seth Curry. Those are big. Like on any other team, you hear like names like that, you would think that they could obviously win the championship. But it's just almost like we'll never know if we'll get to see it. And we don't know if it's them coaching or it's just – I don't know. It just seems like something is just off. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, it, it could be partly because of coaching because, I mean, Steve Nash is gone now. They got Jackie Vaughn, uh, which honestly, in my opinion, I think Jackie Vaughn should have gotten it uh, the first time because, I mean, Steve Nash had never coached anybody in his life. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but kind of to move on, because we're supposed to be talking about players and not teams, but I know we kind of got into that. Y'all know that I got to I gotta talk about my guy, John Morant, because that man has been on a different level to start this season. Uh, he's had a couple tough games, and then I know he sprained his ankle. He's going to be out for probably a couple weeks now. But due to still averaging over 28 a game, uh, he's been carrying the Grizzlies through some some tough injury luck and stuff like that with Bain being out uh, now and then Jaron just now coming back and missing the beginning of the season. Uh, he's really kind of upped his game to the next level. And I think the two things for – really there's like three things for Ja that I think are taking him kind of to from being a superstar, which I think last year he kind of got to that level, but to like solidify himself there. And it starts with – his defensive intensity, 
Uh, he, he's been playing much better on ball defense. He's been hustling to contest shots. Uh, I know the clip that went viral was the clip of him against the Pelicans. Where eyes in the back and of his and head. it's like and it and it's not even eyes in the back of his head because like that's what everybody says like I get it because that's what it looks like, but I've I've watched this clip way more times than you probably should have. You can see the it's, screen. No, it's film study. Like that's what it is. So and you can also see Dylan Brooks is calling it out too. Like they know what like they he and he when Draymond Green says that John Moran is one of the smartest players he's played against and he puts him in the same realm of LeBron James and Rajon Rondo as the smartest players he ever played against, this is what he's talking about. Because he reads, the he's seen that inbounds play and he knows where the ball is going. So he doesn't even need to see the ball. He knows that if, if, if he knows where the ball is going, he knows they're coming off that screen. So if I jump and put my hands up, the ball has to be there at some point. And that's kind of, and it's like the anticipation and the athleticism too is because not everybody's going to be able to just jump up and make that play either. And I think that's the first thing is where he's locked in on the defensive end. And then the other thing that I'll go into is his shooting. It's not just three point shooting either, which he, he, he hasn't done as much of the mid range as I really want him to. But when he has taken the mid range jumper, it's looked good. And I think that's something that a lot of people wanted him to work on. Like, because they were like, dude, you go to the rim a lot. You go to the rim maybe too much. And that's why sometimes you end up with injuries, kind of like with the sprained ankle. You go up, you land on somebody's foot. It happens more often. But if you can kind of get that that mid-range game going, like it, it'll just take him to another level. Uh, but then it's like from three this year, he's right under 40% from three, too. Mm-hmm. Which, if he can, if he can stay at the thirty nine range, I mean, I know the first couple of weeks of the season he was shooting like over fifty percent. We knew that wasn't sustainable. He's come back down to earth a little bit. But if you're still looking at dude, if you have a John Morant that is shooting thirty nine percent from three, or even if it was just thirty seven, thirty six, like that is dangerous because it's just good enough to where if you go under the screens, he can make you pay. And I think that's the kind of thing that is going to take him to another level. One thing that I about to say, too, is his free throw percentage has gone up, too. Um, he seems to get more steady at the free throw line as the game goes on. We all know how clutch of a player he is. He's always seems like every time, no matter what point he has been in his career, when they need a bucket, it seems just like it always goes in no matter how. It somehow is just going to go in. I don't know how, but it just seems like he gets it done. But I'll have to agree with you about the three-point shooting in the mid-range. And the thing about the mid-range shots for the jaw, when he has taken them, they have looked really good. Like, they've looked really good. It seems like he's very confident when he goes into his shots this year. And another thing that I have to say about Jai is when you watch him play, he just seems like he knows that he's that much better than everybody on the court. Like, I – he plays with such a style of play where it's just almost like I feel like that's why it's the, so many highlights that he has because he just knows how much better he is than everybody. And then we go back to the IQ, this smarts and anticipation. Like while he's reading the play and he knows it's a timing to it. He can only throw it in this certain window. So when he sees him coming off the screen, he knows the ball has to be there now or Dylan is going to be there to contest it. So he's timing the screen up. He knows where the ball is going to be. So stuff like that along with his athleticism – his dribble, I feel like that's something that is going to take him over the top. I was wondering, like, kind of with his blossoming of his uh, sh- three-point shot and his mid-range, like, do you guys notice the defense playing him any differently? Are they trying to run him off the line at all or just putting more pressure on screens or anything? No, not – no, and I don't think they're going to. And I think that's the reason why his ability to do that is going to be so important because they're not going to play him differently. Because the number one thing about Ja is you're worried about him getting to the rim, regardless. Like, even if he's still shooting 37 38% from three, you're still more worried about him getting to the rim because that's how he's going to kill you. He's yeah. going to kill you going to the rim. Because even if you just think for too long, you hesitate, you know, that's two points. Yeah, so, like, I don't – that's why I don't think they're – like, I, they might never start playing him differently. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing where, where when I say stuff like if he's shooting this percentage, it's because he's going to be getting open looks. Because if some, because they're gonna go under on screens in the pick and roll, like that's just what that's what they're gonna do on John Morant every time. Because they're like, if you're gonna, they're like, hey, if you're gonna beat me from outside, you can beat me from outside. But they don't want him to beat you on the inside. 
right? So that's why getting a mid-range and then getting a three-point shot, I think, is going to take him to the next level. And I think it's one of the reasons why you've seen him blossom into such a great player already and how great he's looked this season. And that's exactly what I was just going to say. I don't think even if Ja was shooting 45, 46%, he's so good at getting to the rim because he's so much quicker. He jumps so much higher. And if you look at the finishes that he makes, he's arguably the best finisher in the league. Right oh, now. he gets more hang time than anybody. I would say he's, he's, I would say he's definitely, he's the best guard finisher. No question. You could argue that he's a top five finisher of all time. Just off some of the craziest finishes that he makes. I and mean, it's creatively, creatively, like, and it's consistent. Top five is like he has, he has, he has, creatively, he has a yeah. chance. He has a chance to get there. It is like I can understand if it was stuff like, oh, he makes this every now and then. He consistently makes these finishes. Oh yeah, no question. And when you look at like the highlights, the, I, I I think the highlights are ridiculous. So I've been doing this thread on Twitter where I try to pick the best job play. From every game and it's like dude is making two or three plays that a lot of guys that would be their best play in their career on a nightly basis so like on the same night in that pelicans game when we're talking about he jumps up and makes a steal he hit a half court buzzer beater and a dunk where he switched hands in midair and this is in one game there 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 are hundreds of guys that have played in, in in the history of the NBA that have never who have never done those three things in their career like they have never d- had a, a steal where they anticipated as well as Ja did hit a half court buzzer beater and switched hands in midair on an in-game a dunk. dunk yeah like there are guy like there are guys that didn't do that their entire career and if he's not doing that he's doing some oopty wheel behind the back pass or something oh yeah and then it's like you look at like like his playmaking which freaking Charles Barkley Charles Barkley look you were a great player but it's clear that you only watch the Grizzlies when they play on TNT and last year they only played on TNT like six times right and then the playoffs but they're like Ja doesn't make his teammates better that's what Charles Barkley said. And then Ja goes out. I know he ended up getting hurt. Goes out, gets 11 assists the next night. Averaging seven assists, top 10 in assists in the league. But he doesn't make his teammates better. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't like make sense. That was honestly, I feel like that's, that was a terrible take. Because you go back, Ja no is question. a past first player. Like, if you watch how he played before he just realized how much better he was at getting to the rim to everybody, he was averaging like 17.7 assists. He literally did take over scoring. Most of his games, you see him, he's looking to set up his teammates to get his teammates going, and then he scores when he just has to. But most of the time, if you watch him play, he's not just going out there making crazy plays, trying to force anything. He's getting his other guys open, like Bain, Jaren. You even seen the first play of last game where it was a set play to get Jaren going, like going back to what you were saying. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that take at all. That was that was terrible. Take. Yeah, and it's like, listen, listen, listen. Like, like I said, I'm not going to act like I have more authority than Charles Barkley in the NBA space because dude actually played in the league. But if you're talking about the Grizzlies, like it's clear that he does not watch. He doesn't watch the games like it. And it's, it's, it's that simple. He, he doesn't watch the Grizzlies because anybody who watches the Grizzlies and says that John Morant does not make the team better just doesn't know what they're talking about. And it, I mean, and, and it's like you can go back to the playoffs last year against the Timberwolves. He shot the ball terrible, terribly. And but he was still putting up double doubles, and even if he only had 15 points, he had 11 assists, and it's stuff like that where he's he's consistently making his teammates better. And they always talk about like Steph Curry with like the gravity of when even when he's off the ball because they're so worried about him. It's like Ja has that say. It's not the same as Steph because Steph has it when he's off ball. Like when the ball is in his hands, it's a little bit different. But you see how the defense shifts to Steph even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands with Ja. It's like when he when he has the ball in his hands, everybody is selling out to stop him. They're forming a wall. Yeah. Down there. So it's like it's like John like guys like John Conchar and Santi Aldama and guys like that that are coming off the bench now. Uh well, they've kind of been pushed into the starting lineup because of some injuries. But like guys like that are getting wide open shots. And it's like dudes not even within eight to ten feet of him because the dude is helping out of the corner because they're that scared of Ja when he drives to the basket. Because you have to. Because if you don't, he's going to make you pay. So, yeah, just we 
Ja's been awesome. That's just the on-the-court stuff, like, in the game and stuff. And then you see all the video bombing stuff they do after the games. Like, yeah, maybe that's not making his teammates better, but morale is up there, and that's really important, especially with, like, with all the controversy going around in the league. And, like, and the, that's true. The Grizzlies are one of the tightest groups that you can find. Yeah, and I, I feel like it is a little bit underrated because, like, you see, like, a team like the Bucks, right? And I think the Bucks are if, – if you look at an organization that has done everything the right way, I would I would point to the Bucks. Right now, the energy on the Bucks team isn't quite the same as it is with the Grizzlies, but I think it's partly because I mean they've been there, they've done it. They're, they're way older. older. Yeah, they're like older guys. They're veterans. It's a little bit different. They don't have like that same energy. But it's like when you talk about drama, you heard a little bit about Giannis like pushing the ladder down, whatever. Yeah. But you rarely, you rarely hear about like teammate drama coming out of Milwaukee, and you can tell those guys are a really tight knit group. And it's another thing that I always talk about. When your superstar celebrates the rest, the, the accomplishments of the rest of the team, whether that's on social media, whether that's in the post-game press conference, all of that. Like when Giannis is going out and he's talking about how great Bobby Portis is, right? It's just something where it's like that is your leader and he's giving you your props. When Ja is going out in the post-game press conferences and he's talking about guys like Santi Aldama and then he's going on Twitter after the game to talk about how good Kenneth Lofton Jr. looks in the G League, it's like just when you have a leader that is kind of like that, and I think you can go through you – can, you can say the same thing about Steph – uh, I know this year they've had some problems and issues, but it had nothing to do with him. I think Steph is one of those guys as well uh, that is kind of like that, just like in terms of being a leader off the court too. And I, and a lot of these guys in the top ten, I think, have that kind of – like th they have that same kind of quality. Uh, not all of them, right? But I would say like if you're talking about Giannis, Tatum, Steph, Ja, like guys like that, they all have that same quality. Uh, but I do want to get through the rest of the top tens. I don't know how different they get because I think we all had those guys. Yeah, I had all of those. Yeah, so I think I think we all had those guys. And then it kind of gets a little bit iffy there. The the guy, right, I still think Nikola Jokic, like, don't, don't crucify me. I still think Nikola Jokic is still a top ten player, top five player in the NBA. He just won back-to-back -back MVPs. But so far this year, in terms of players that have impressed me, I mean, his numbers are down. He's, I think he's 40th in the NBA in scoring so far. He's averaging about 20 a game. Uh, I know he has missed a couple games because he got COVID, so I don't know if maybe he was feeling some of the effects of that before. But, like, he, he doesn't look the same. And it's not necessarily because he's bad. It's not because Nikola Jokic is bad now. I think part of it is he's trying to get Jamal and Michael Porter Jr. going, whereas last yeah. year he had to, he had to do everything. Like, last year he had to do everything. And I think he's kind of trying to take a step back. But I still think, at, like, for the Nuggets to be at their best, Nikola Jokic has to be as aggressive as he has been in the past. Like, maybe not quite the usage, but he, he's going to have to continue to be aggressive. And I think that's one of the reasons why. I didn't put him in my top ten for this season. I didn't either. I didn't put him in the top ten, which is crazy for somebody who just won two two MVPs. I still think he's a top 10 player in the league overall in terms of his talent and in terms of what we've seen over the last right. few years. There's no question. I think it's less of a knock on him and more to the talent that's in the league right now. Like, you yeah. Look at yeah, almost every single team has at least one person that you're just like, it's nice or has the potential to be nice. For and sure. That's the point that we're getting to where it's almost like you have to have a two two players at this point to to even you be you in, in to be in contention. You have to have a superstar and an all star level player. Exactly, and then a a good bench. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and a good bench. But it's like if you don't, and I think that's one thing where, it, like, if you go around the league and you just look at the teams that are doing well, like if you look at the Bucks or if you look at the Celtics. It's a little bit different in the West. I think the West is going to shake out a little bit differently than it looks right now. Yeah. Like, I think, like, Utah's not the best team in the West. Like, let's be honest. He's not the best team. Now, they're a really good team. They're, I don't think they're the best team in the West. They got Lori Bird. <laughs> which, which is crazy because I was actually going to say that. If you're talking about to start this season in terms of impacting winning, you got to put somebody from the Jazz on there. I mean, they, yeah. they have the best record in the West. And if you got to pick one guy from the from from the Jazz, it's Laurie Markkinen. And I think maybe we should have seen it coming. I didn't see this level of Laurie Markkinen. 
I didn't I didn't see that coming. But if you look at the way he played in Eurobasket, like dude yeah. was hooping in the Eurobasket. And he's only twenty five. Yeah, and, and and I think that's the crazy thing that people don't realize about the NBA is you get these guys so young, and then if they don't pan out in two years and they're not a superstar, you think you can just throw them away, right? But then it's like, dude, not everybody is not everybody is going to be at their peak at twenty two years old. Yeah. And if you think about it some more, like it makes sense that he's succeeding. He's in a role that you know he is the primary option, and his for the first time in his career, he's yeah. the number one option. And it, his skills really translate to how the NBA is moving, like near seven foot, and like you know he's not the most athletic, but he's he's big and strong. So I mean, on the d- defensively, he, it's not hard for him to get contested or hold his own down in the paint. And then like, the, I was I've been surprised by his his playmaking ability in terms of like how he can create his own shot. Uh, he doesn't need much space. Uh, he he's had a he's really shown off his skill set of a fadeaway. He's kind of looking like a little bit of Dirk Nowitzki. One thing I was about to say is a lot. This to like with the point where we was talking about players and their development. A prime example is that is Tracy McGrady. Um, we go back to his rookie year. He talks about how he had a lot of self doubt. Um, dealt with depression just because he didn't get a lot of playing time. He felt like his coach. Didn't want him to be there. He was 18 at the time coming in, and he felt like that really hindered his development. Then when he came to Orlando, you had guys like Grant Hill go out, and he was, like, almost forced in a role. Not to say that Laurie Markin would be quite the player as Tracy McGrady was, but it's almost like a similar situation, not with the players that hurt, but Laurie just – he gets there, Donovan leaves, Rudy uh, Gobert leaves. Who else are they going to look to? It's it's him and Jordan Clarkson offensively. Like those are the main guys. And you also got to look at like the guys around him outside of Jordan Clarkson. When you look at like Mike Conley, that's the guy who is going to try to get Laurie Marketing going. And obviously, he's not the same player as Mark Gasol, but has played with a big guy that has a lot of skill before, right? And it's it's not that they're the same player because I think Laurie's a better a little bit. He's a better outside shooter, especially than uh, Mark was early in his career. But, yeah, I, I I just think that just overall, Laurie Markkinen has been great this year. So that's why I put him in the top ten for me uh, just to start the year. He was in my top ten as well. I'm glad you said that. And he's gunning for that most improved. He's got, right? I, I, I think he's – I mean, it's going to be between him, Bane. Desmond Bain, and – Bobo, Bobo, man, yeah, going which, from out which, of like, look, we're, we're gonna talk about Bobo right? later. He's not, he's not top ten yet, but yeah, <laughs> but our, our regular nice. Bobo segment. Yeah, All right, and then since we talked about Lori, we also have to talk about the only Utah Jazz trade that worked out for both teams, which is Donovan Mitchell going to the Cavs. I think Donovan Mitchell to start the season has been one of the ten best players in the NBA. Uh, most exciting, he's taking that Cavs team kind of to the next level, which I think, like, the Gobert thing never – I don't think the Gobert thing ever looked right on paper to me overall, like, if I'm being honest. But for the Cavs, like, when you look at them last season, I think that's what they needed. They needed a guy that can go out there and score. They have the guys inside, right? They've yeah. got Jared Allen. Too they've got teams. Evan Mobley. Like, they don't need inside. They've got the point guard. They've got a point guard that is an incredible shooter and is – a really, really good facilitator, right? All you needed was a go-to guy who I can throw you the ball and you can get me a bucket. Like, that's the one thing they needed. And when they get Donovan Mitchell, even though he does have some defensive deficiencies when he was in Utah, he's picked it up on that end. He's looked much better on that end because it's never been a thing where it's like he physically can't be a good defender. Like he has all the tools. He has all the athleticism. He has the size. He has the length to be a solid defender. Like he shouldn't be as bad of a defender as he was at the end of that jazz at the end of his run with the jazz. It was just horrible, but like it's, it's almost like he he's been rejuvenated because of the calves. And I think that's something that you've also seen with, like, Kevin Love, who I know he got hurt too. But a couple years ago, Kevin Love looked like he was about to be out of the NBA because he he, he wasn't uh, playing. He didn't like his teammates, didn't all care, that. Yeah. He didn't care. And I think that's kind of how Donovan was feeling last year because, let's be honest, because he was playing Rudy Gobert. I, like, it's, it's not just because of that, but it's like I think that they kind of had a feeling going into the playoffs last year that they weren't going to do anything. And I think, and it, and then obviously they wouldn't have said that, but you can tell by the way they played that they felt like they were not good enough. 
and it's just like and and they didn't give I didn't feel like he was giving his all on the defensive end, which I think that's not the case this year. Uh, Cavs are nine and six on the season. They have had they they have been a little bit up and down, but I still think that team is going to be really nice for years to come. They got a really good young core. I was just exactly going to say that the Cavs they never I'm mean, they're not as young as the Grizzlies I don't think, but they're around the same age where they have young cores at heart, and if they keep these cores together. You talk about like a dangerous group. Evan Mobley's Absolutely. rookie last year, uh, contention for rookie of the year. You go, then you have Darius Garland, who I had him as an honorable mention. He wasn't top 10, but he was a surprising player just because his ability to shoot the ball and facilitate. Uh, I'll argue that Darius Garland is probably a top five facilitator, top 10 facilitator in the league right now. Oh, uh, yeah. No then question. Then you go to his shooting ability, he can shoot from anywhere on the court at a high rate. And it just seems like he's very smooth. Like, oh yeah, he plays so in control of the game. Like, and he just seems like a very smart player on the team. So you pair that with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who just uh, he's keen to facilitate as well. But you know, like how just dominant of a scorer he is. Like we go back, even though people try to say the bubble doesn't count, his uh, duel with Jamal Murray in the bubble where he was getting 50, 50, 50. almost like yeah. every game. So you add that to uh, Darius Garland, like you just said. Who, where you said you need a superstar and an all-star to contend. I wouldn't say Donovan Mitchell is quite a superstar, he's, yeah. but he's borderline, Well, and he's like, still young. Yeah, and I, I think it's not necessarily like – not in every case do you need a superstar and an all-star. Like, it's not in every case. Like, there have been teams that have done that in the past. Uh, like but, the Pistons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, which like, like the Pistons that didn't even have – I think they're the only – the only championship team that didn't have a top 75 player on it, I think, something like that, uh, which is kind of interesting to look at. But, like, there have been teams that have done it in the past, but it's still clear that most of the time when you have a, when you have a team, which you can even look at the Warriors last year where they just had – they basically just had Steph and a bunch of good players, right? And I think you can make up for that. And I think for the Cavs – where they might not they might not necessarily have a superstar. Like I don't know if in in these words for players are so kind of finicky, so yeah. I get it. Where maybe Donovan Mitchell is a superstar, maybe he's not, whatever you say. But they have two guys at least that in in their backcourt in Mitchell and Garland that are going to be in all-star considerations for years to come. And you could say the same thing about Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Like, Evan Mobley has amazing potential on both ends of the floor. Like, when they talk about a guy that he – like, I, I when people are comparing you to, like, Tim Duncan, like, that's how you know that you're going to be a pretty freaking good player because that's what they're talking about, dude, because he's got the mid-range game. He's got the, Remember uh, the, the hook shots, all of that. Last year, yes. The Dr. J-like one. And it's like, dude, that, that dude has crazy potential. So, yeah, that Cavs team in general has a lot of potential. Uh, and then the last guy on my list for this season, my, I, I don't know if, I, I, I don't know. But I'm going Shea Gilgis yeah. Alexander. He's on mine. He's okay. On mine. Because that dude, I, I know he just had an off night against the Grizzlies the other night. He kind of got locked up a little bit. But. He had 37, 37, and 42 with multiple game winners in the stretch before that. And look at his field goal percentage. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous, the kind, the kind of things that we've seen him uh, do to start the season. I mean, you look at him, he's already aver- he's averaging 31 a game. He's top five in the league in scoring. And, yeah, he's shooting 53% from the field and 41% from three. And exactly, he's a guard averaging 31 points on 53% shooting on the field. Well, and I think, and, and the thing is, is he's so hard, it's so hard to stay in front of him. Like, it's extremely it's extremely difficult to stay in front of Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander. But then he also pulls out the mid-range, and he also pulls out the three-point shooting. And it's almost like at times he seems unguardable. Like, there are, there are nights where if Shea, if Shea has it on, he is one of the ten toughest players to guard in the NBA. Yeah, because he can score at all three levels very efficiently. And like the whole defense is focused on. Him. I'm looking at it right now. Their next leading scorer, Shea has 31. Their next leading scorer is Josh Giddy with 15. You don't even think of him as a scorer. So like in terms of like second option, it's like it's a toss up between like Dort and Giddy, and he's still able to 
do all this at an efficient level despite the defense, you know. And I had seen something um, earlier this week where it was just talking about, like, I was just watching, like, some film, like, video on him. And you go to look at their, the Thunder's three-point shooting. Um, they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league, I believe, the last two years. So you go him, you just talk back to the way that Shea likes to play. It's not the same as Ja, but he likes to drive. He likes to shoot a lot of mid-ranges. He only shoots, like, two threes a game, if that. So if you just go back to he's shooting 53% while his team is also the last in three-point shooting. So the spacing is terrible. He's still finding a way to get his shot off. So you think of you add pieces there are threats to really stretch out the defense. Imagine the type of clip and the numbers that he would be able to score, if not like the impact on winning even more that he would have. For sure. Uh, are there any other guys that we didn't talk about that y'all wanted um, to throw in? In terms of surprising, I think Jamie Grant's pretty surprising. He's like one of the leaders in um, three-point percentage, like 48 or something. He's been a great addition to, to the, the Blazers who, you know, them themselves have been kind of a, a story to start the season. They're like yeah. and then top three in the West. You you probably could have thrown Dame in, but I, just, I don't know. He's been injured. I think we talked about that before. Like, yeah. yeah. I, that, mean, he, I mean, it's still early, but, I mean, if you've missed five out of – the 16 games yeah. it's like the percentage of games you've played i don't know it, it's gonna be hard and he and he just got hurt again well like the, just the trailblazers um in general kind of like their big three has been very very good like dame simons who who uh got got that contract extension over the summer and he's kind of he's proven that it was kind of a discount almost it was like four year 100 around that yeah. i don't think it was more than what jalen brunson or it definitely wasn't more than jordan Poole got so they got, oh, got definitely a great not. discount for that and then, and yeah, then they got sure. Grant. Like when that trade happened on draft night, uh, who was it? It was the Bucks, the the Pistons who gave yeah. the, the Blazers uh, Grant, and it was it was such a weird trade. It was like what a second round pick. I don't know. It was like a a two a first round pick swaps that they exchanged just mm-hmm. to get rid of Jeremy Grant. But yeah, and they have Gary Payton the second. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. That's been big. Him and Josh Hart. Yeah. But uh, before we end, because I, that whole conversation took about fifty minutes. So, I I just want to go through some of the injuries, and I want you guys to tell me which of these injuries, in terms of length and in terms of impact to the team, do you think is going to hurt their team the most? Uh, Kate Cunningham, uh, I think he, he he has a shin injury. They're not sure if he's gonna they're not sure if he's gonna do surgery or not yet. But regardless, he's gonna be out for a while. They are three and fourteen, so they got really no reason yeah. to rush him back. That's what I'm saying. C. Like go go ahead and look. I, I I know what everybody's thinking. If I was in Detroit, look, pack it up. Go <laughs> ahead. Maybe. Look, you're we're three and fourteen with Cade. Cade just got hurt, and Victor Wimbanyama is killing everybody overseas right now. Like, hey, let's let's see if maybe those two together can do something. Especially they already got Jalen Duran. So I, I I'm not a tanking guy, but I I think that he's a guy. He might be out for the rest of the year Why just because of stuff like that. Why not have Wimbanitis? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Tyrese Maxey going to be out three to four weeks with a broken, uh, a fracture bone in his foot, uh, which is really tough because Harden was already out and Maxey was kind of blossoming because of that, getting the ball in his hands a lot more, and then he gets injured. Uh, LaMelo Ball re-sprained his ankle on a fan's foot courtside, which was very unfortunate First for game him. he was back. Yeah, his too. first game back. Uh LeBron's been out with a groin injury. We'll see how long that takes. I think Lakers uh, are doing well without him. Yeah, I mean, for their standards. I mean, they're two and two without him. So I guess that's better than they were doing. It was like one and eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's better than they were doing. Like I said, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're doing okay. But yeah, actually, we'll see the, what happens when he gets back. We'll see what happens when he gets back. Uh, Jokic and Jamal Murray both have COVID, so they're going to miss a couple games. But I don't think that's going to have a huge effect. Dame. The thing that scares me about Dame is he's now had that – it's the same calf that he just messed up. And it's something – if you strain something, sometimes you can never – like they need to give him time to get him back to 100%. Because I think if he plays at like 80%, even though – like I know he's he's one of those guys that is going to play through pain because he loves playing basketball, he loves winning all that. But I think that they might need to just give him some time and let him get back to 100% before they decide to like bring him back and play him. And then uh, Paulo Bantrero has an ankle injury, uh, which they said he'll be reevaluated in about a week. Uh, Chris Paul has a heel injury, uh, which has kept him out for the last few games as well. 
And then the Grizzlies have two big injuries with John Desmond Bain, both probably going to miss at least the next. We know we know Bain is going to miss at least the next two weeks. Ja is on a week to week basis. Uh, we know he's not going to be playing in their game that's coming up on Sunday against the Nets, uh, which will be in a couple hours after recording this. Uh, but just out of those guys, if you had to pick one, what, who do you think would be the one that has the biggest impact on the team? I'd say Tyrese Maxey because now you're really going to ask Harden to turn back the clock. And but Harden, Harden's already out too. That's the thing. And then, so who who's subbing in for him? That's that's a huge issue. Now we're going to see Anthony Melton. Anthony Melton's starting, but who's going to be the primary ball handler? Like and be like seriously, like who they <laughs> yeah. have. And I have to agree with Tyrese Maxey just for the simple fact that Embiid. He's known. I'm not gonna don't want to wish it on him, but he's had injury problems in the past. And that being said, his I'm not gonna say his prime is coming over, but think about how much window does he have left in his career to win a championship? Like these are Embiid's best years. That's so true. With in Tyrese Maxey and and Harden being out for a long period of time, we know how competitive the East is. So that may just I don't wanna say it's gonna take the total championship aspirations away, but it may make it harder. Well, and yeah. and, this, and this is what I will say about the whole Tyrese Maxey thing, because I would agree that's probably the one that's going to hurt any like the most out of any of these. You could also argue for LaMelo Ball, but the Hornets were not going to be that great anyway, even if LaMelo was playing. And I think that's kind of the case for some of these guys. I mean, Jokic and Murray is going to be tough for the Nuggets too, but it's probably only going to be for a couple games because it's not an actual injury. It's just covid uh, but I would say it's either Maxi or Dame because I think Dame, I think the Dame one is going to hurt them a lot if he can't get back to 100% and if it's one of those lingering injuries where he has to keep missing games down the stretch. I think that's the one thing to worry about me uh, with Dame. But the thing for Tyrese Maxi is it's like, like you said, who do they have? Because if you look at their roster, the only other guards they really have outside of Maxi. And Harden, they have Shake Milton and DeAnthony Milton, which as somebody who, like, if you listen to this podcast consistently, you know that my team is the Grizzlies, and I've watched the Grizzlies more than any other team. And I saw last year when Ja got hurt, and they were asking DeAnthony, DeAnthony Milton to be the backup point guard. He's not a backup point guard. He's not a point guard. He's he's a two guard at, at his heart, right? He's not as gr- He's not great with the ball in his hands. If you want somebody who can go out there and play great defense, force turnovers, and shoot threes and get into fast break, get DeAnthony Milton for sure. But if you're looking for somebody to be a true point guard, it's it's not him. Like he, he's he's not a true point guard, and 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 that's just simply a fact. And yeah, so um, somebody I feel like they maybe could use. Um, just looking at that made me think of it. But um, Tobias Harris, I'm not saying he'll play point guard, but he'll probably have some more facilitating roles because if you look back to his time he's gonna have to he was almost like a point forward his whole time here he was basically the point guard if you go back to when he was his time here even though he had like other guys there but he had the ball a lot so he's very comfortable in doing that and he's shown in his career I'm not saying that he's going to just be this fantastic player but I feel like he has the ability to step up in this ways that they'll need it because they're going to need somebody else to handle the ball I mean realistically if you consider Jaden Springer a point guard, they have one point guard on this team. So they're going to pick up some people. You know, maybe Isaiah Thomas or Doc Rivers and Rajon Rondo have dinner one night. And <laughs> hey, nah, hold up. Hey, let Doc get out there and get some minutes. He was a pretty good point guard back <laughs> right. in his day. He, yeah. might have to, he might have to help Trade him out. Trade for Austin, that. too. Yeah. <laughs> Trade for Austin. Yeah, that would be funny. Uh, nah, one of my that, that just, you just made me think about that time when Austin got his uh, dad kicked out. That was pretty funny. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on the other side of the injury things, there were two big returns from injury in the, over the past week, uh, and that's Kawhi Leonard, who still doesn't look 100% to me. If you if you watched him play, I think he only had eight points in that game. He struggled. It was his first game back, so that's to be expected. But I still think physically he didn't quite look like himself. I don't know if y'all saw a lot of that game or at least just some of the highlights. But it's like it's almost like he's – it, it might just be because he's not in shape yet. That could be part of it, uh, not like in full basketball shape, but it seems like he's like a step slower. And I think that would be the one thing that would concern me. But like I said, after one game, I'm not concerned about it. But I think it could be something if, if he can't get back to the level we've seen him in the past again, uh, like I would start getting worried around Christmas 
around Christmas, if he, if he's back and he's playing and he doesn't and he still doesn't look the same, I would I would start to get worried. Yeah, because he's missed over a year. It's been such a long time since we've seen the Kawhi Leonard that we think of. So, yeah. And how old is Kawhi? He's. Uh, that's a good question, actually. I think he's he like in his thirties. He's probably uh, close to thirty. Yeah, I think he's thirty. No, yeah. no, I think he's thirty now. But we 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 can look it up to make sure. But we know that he's he's, he's been in 31. the league. He's thirty one. Yeah, like that, not not now. Not saying that he's just his career is over or yeah. anything. Obviously, because I mean he's still. I mean we've seen this in the past where he didn't play for a full year for the Spurs and then he came back and won Finals MVP. So it's not to say that there's just that Kawhi Kawhi Leonard's not done, right? No question about that. But gonna need to see him kind of get back into a rhythm, yeah, and then see if he can stay healthy because that's been the biggest problem for the Clippers is staying healthy. They haven't been healthy every year. You come into the year and they're like, "Oh, if the Clippers can stay healthy, they can win the championship." We've been saying that for the we've past. been saying that for three years <laughs> Gosh, because man. because they're but they're never healthy, right? Whether it's Paul George, it's either Paul George or it's Kawhi, or both, or both. Like we we've seen all we've seen every, every like, combo yep. we've seen Reggie Jackson be the number one scoring option in a playoff series for the Clippers in, over the last two years. But you have to give credit to Ty Lue to how oh good of yes a coach yes because the sure. roster that he had last year would be a lot of people's tanking roster. Um, like Amir Coffee was their go to guy at the end of games. A lot of people will be looking to tank with that roster, but it just goes to show that the culture they expect to win at when they play the Clippers, no matter who is out there. He's always putting his guys in uh, spots to win. I don't know if you remember, just, just thinking about it, just maybe thinking about it, the Grizzlies game where we played the Clippers and Luke Kennard killed us. Yes. he was drawing <laughs> up all these just amazing plays for Luke Kennard. He was just killing us. So he knows how to, the thing about coaching is you have to know how to put your players in a position to succeed. That was something we was talking about earlier in the season with Ben Simmons being a point guard is – if you knew that he's not going to shoot the ball, why are you giving him the ball every 20 seconds? That's just making him a liability. So they, Ty Lue knows where his players best fit. He knows exactly what to put his players in the position to see. And I feel like that just shows. And when he gets his guys back, I know we've been saying this for three years, so I'm not going to say it. But they have potential is what I'm going to say. I'll give you that. And then on the other side is Jaron Jackson Jr. made his return, struggled in his first game. Uh, but in that second game against OKC, it arguably, I would say it might be his best all-around game that I've seen him play. It's 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 up there. And because, I, I mean, you look at it, 25 points, career-high 12 how rebounds. Many, in how many minutes? In, in 25. 25. He was, in, they said, like, I saw he was the first player in the history of the NBA to play 25 or less minutes, which I know he has played exactly 25 and then have 25 points, three blocks, two steals, uh, 10 or more rebounds, and multiple made threes. That deepest uh, defensive player of the year agenda is going to come soon. Um, and one thing that I've noticed, too, I know you probably noticed this, too. He, his fouling has – he looks like – I'm not going to say because it's two games into the season, so I don't want to just – but he looks to be playing way smarter. Yes, I'll say that, and too. And picking and choosing when to be aggressive and when to just – play good defense no and it's like the reason why he was the block champion last year was because he chased the blocks like let's not ask act like he doesn't like he definitely chases blocks right but i think that he because he talked about it coming in like watching film and learning that you can still get block number like he's still gonna have the block numbers regardless but it's like you've seen times where maybe he would get a foul called on him He's not necessarily going for the block. He's just going for the contest because he doesn't have to block shots to be an impactful defender. If he didn't block shots and he was just contesting, like he still had one of the lowest field goal percentages the at the lowest. rim. I think it was the lowest. It might have been the lowest. It was either him or Robert Williams. Like those two guys had the best. I know that for sure. Uh, and then in the playoffs, he was incredible. And he, I think he, he, he let the playoffs in blocks for at least up until the finals. And he didn't play in the Western Conference Finals or the Finals. So I think that's pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that second game that he played. Uh, the shot looked better. But I'll also say the rebounding and then his ability exactly. to kind of go in the paint were the two things. Uh, scoring in the paint, they found him in the paint a lot more. And I think that's going to be good for them. And who knows, maybe, maybe, just maybe before the end of the season, we'll get to see a fully healthy Grizzlies team. I don't know. Maybe. It's 
that might be too much to ask for. That's something I'm looking for too. Um, like I, I would agree, Jaren looked very amazing on offense. Um, hopefully he can get his three point shooting back up to where it once was because we all know that he has potential to. I'm not gonna say 40, but he was shooting basically 40. percent Yeah, he was shooting 38, 39 percent so those first couple of years. If, I'm not gonna say he's gonna get back to that, but just the thought of that. Is just scary. So you add that with a guy like Jai, you have another big who can space the floor and still affect the game. Like most bigs, you see they're spacing the floor. I'm not going to say they're soft, but they're not as physical as Jern. Because Jern will still shoot threes, but like we said, he's chasing blocks. Now he's going more at the rebounds and stuff. And then you see him getting in the post. One thing I would like to see a little bit more is he still favors that left hand a lot on the post. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like how Brandon Clark, you know, he's going to spin. You know that Jaren's going to the left every time he's going to the post. So I'd like to see him develop a little bit more of a right-handed post game, or like you know, kind of faking into the moves. But with that being said, it still comes with time. He's still young, and it's all of all in all a mass, not massive, but it's a great look right now. He's looking like he's moving in the right direction, in my opinion. And they can ease him back too with the the guys who came in for him, Aldama and Conchar. It looks successful. So, yeah, for sure. Time. Especially, yeah, especially Santi. I think. I mean, and I think that uh, Ja, Jaren, and Bain are all not going to be playing against the Nets, so that's going to be a tough game for the Grizzlies to actually try to win that game. It's gonna yeah, be, yeah, it's going to be all Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Uh, Tonight's all Dylan Brooks. Yeah, it's all Dylan Brooks because uh, they're, they're like I said, they're kind of slow playing the Jaron injury a little legacy bit to make sure that he up. can be back. Yeah, Dylan Brooks legacy game. Tune in uh, seven o'clock Eastern on Sunday. Uh, actually, by the time you're listening to this, it probably already happened. So, <laughs> so we, we called it. <laughs> hey, we called it though. Hey, Dylan Brooks legacy game coming up. But as always, it's always great to listen and you know talk about the great kind of storylines in the nba here on the fast break podcast with my guys keith and justin uh until next time we will see you shout out to everybody on youtube that watched this for the first time we'll see y'all next week